Have you ever seen someone cry? Mandy did not come up here with an ugly cry. Okay, I just want to say that because some of you are going to be like, what a jerk. How did he ever get a job as a pastor? I ask myself that sometimes too. But have you ever seen somebody cry such a deep cry? You know it's coming from an anguish of their soul. And they're crying and they've got their mouth open and they're crying. And you're hearing almost groanings coming out in their crying. Right? Some people, you know, like, oh man, I had a good cry yesterday. It was an ugly cry. Let me tell you about it. But I needed it. It was good for me. You know what I'm talking about? That's when somebody leans into the process of whatever pain or whatever grief they're feeling. They're, they're, they're no longer concerned with trying to keep their composure together and trying to make sure their makeup doesn't run, trying to make sure that they don't have, you know, other stuff running down their face and all that sort of stuff, right? They're not concerned about that. Why? Because they're in anguish or they're in pain or they've got a deep-seated fear that's real. It's palpable. And all they know to do is cry out to the Lord. That's what we see here in today's section of Psalm 119. I got to ask you, what, what has to happen to bring you to that level of pain? Well, what has to happen to bring you to, to that level of discomfort or, or fear or, or loneliness? I mean, it can be a myriad of things. I'm mentioning five or six. It could be any number of things. What kind of longing on the positive side? A longing for the Lord so desperately that you want to know him so well that you cry out to him and you, you pour your heart out and you say, God, I've got to have you. I've got to know you. I've got to walk with you. As wholehearted followers of Christ, we need to cry out to the Lord wholeheartedly as you, you pour over and as you embrace him through his word. As you open your Bible and you pour over the scriptures, we pour out our heart to the Lord, affirming what we see in the scriptures to be true, knowing it to be true because we know that he is true and everything that he has, he has given to us through man is good. It's right. It's not just good. It's, it's the only good. It's the only thing that's perfectly righteous in every way. And we call out to him and we, and uh, this is not the picture of polite prayer. Oh, God, I need you. Lord, come and help me give all of myself to you. Lord, I mean, that's fine. It's fine to pray like that, right? This isn't about a, how we perform while we pray. I pray plenty of prayers like that, sitting in a chair or other places. But this, this cry is a wholehearted cry crying out to the Lord. He says, with my whole heart, I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I will call to you, save me that I may observe your testimonies. We need to first give ourselves wholly to the Lord. Give yourself wholly to the Lord. I just got to ask you this morning, what are you holding back? Now, don't get all theological. Don't get all formal with me here. Really, it's not with me because we're not really talking about it, but with the Lord. This is not the time for spiritual answers. This is the time for brutal honesty. What are you holding back from the Lord? Sometimes we think of our, our hearts like a room, and you might think of it like there's a music room, right? Do, do the things you listen to, the things that you read, a music in a reading room, do those things set your affections for the Lord? 
Sometimes we've got a, a, a friendship room. Maybe it's the living room with people you invite over, people you representative of, of people you do life with, people that are your, your closest friends. We talked about that some last week or a couple weeks ago. Remember the tomato sorter, right? Our horizontal whack-a-mole, green and red tomatoes. It sees a little bit of red on those tomatoes and not on the green. And it goes whack, whack, whack. The green tomatoes are gone. What needs to be wiped out of your life that, that you're welcoming? In fact, you might even go so, so far as to say you're actually preparing a proverbial room for that unhelpful, unchristlike guest, friend, advisor. The writer of Proverbs says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe, or he means to let your eyes observe or, or delight in my ways. And, and the psalmist is exemplifying obedience to this, but it feels less like this strong effort to stay on the right path, right? There are times that we, we preach to ourselves and we, well, that's what he's doing here. We preach to ourselves or we think, okay, I need to do this tomorrow and I need to do this the next day. And it seems less organized or planned or structured and more of, Living, walking with the Lord in daily submission and surrender to God's purposes and ways and saying, God, with my whole heart, I cry out to you. I got enemies all around me. They're coming after me. Why? Because they hate your ways, but I love your ways. They're far from you, but they're near to me. God, I need your help. If you're a music person, this cry for help uh, in verse uh, 145, he says, I cry, answer me. I will call to you. Save me. I rise before dawn and I cry out for your help. Help me. If you're a music person, it would be staccato. It would be Peter as he jumped out of the boat and he began walking to the Lord Jesus and he's looking at the Lord Jesus and all of a sudden he sees the big waves, all the stuff around him that distracts him. He doesn't lose his footing. He loses his foundation because he does, he has not keeping, he's not keeping his eyes on his Savior. And the moment he takes his eyes off the Lord, he begins to sink and he says, help me. That's this cry. Help me, God. It's staccato. It's not long and drawn out and poetic. I need you. With our whole hearts, we give ourselves to calling out for the Lord. I want to ask you, are you more concerned about your composure before the Lord than you are about calling out to him with your whole self? If you are, you're not calling out to him with your whole self. You're holding something back. And when we hold anything back from the Lord, now, I could have a seat right here. Sorry, camera folks, this is a tough day. We hold out anything to the Lord. Somebody else be up there preaching, and I'm hearing this myself. When we hold back anything from the Lord, we are not calling out to him with our whole heart. I know that's true of me at times. Probably more often than I care to admit. So this is an exhortation to Pastor Matt. It's been a good week for me. It's been a hard week for me. Preparing this message for you, for us. So the Lord's been working it through me. 
The psalmist is exemplifying this wholehearted devotion to the Lord, but it's a, it's a delightful pursuit uh, of God's ways, which flow out of a great love for who God is and what's truly best and most joyful for him. If you still see Christianity as a religion and a set of boxes that you need to check, you don't know the Lord. I don't mean that you're not saved, maybe, because we're talking to a, a large, large group of people here. So I don't, I don't pretend to know your heart. But you don't really know the Lord. We, we come to the Lord in childlike faith and we know a few simple things. I'm a sinner. I'm a great sinner. And he's a great savior. And the only wage that I get for my actions is an eternity in hell, which I've earned. That's why it's called a wage. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But that's just not an acknowledgement or a belief that God exists. It's an acknowledgement that God exists. And because of my sin, I earned my eternal wage separated from the positive saving relationship of God, but never separated from God's presence of judgment in our life. But God made a way to save a people to himself by sending his own son born in the likeness of man that he might live perfectly and die a sacrificial death for your sin and for mine. That's kind of the gist of, of what we understand maybe when we come to a saving relationship. And I know that I need to repent. I need to turn away from living for myself and I need to turn to the Lord in faith and say, God, I, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you're perfect. And I know that you sent your son to die on the cross and pay the penalty for my sins. With that information, affections that are turned from self to the Lord, which then enact our will for faith-filled obedience, a person can be justified, made right with our creator God. You don't have to know a whole lot more theology, which is why I say, if you think religion is just, or Christianity is just checking a bunch of boxes, you don't know him. I'm not saying you can't be saved. We can be saved with simple faith. But then we grow in knowing him as we learn f accurate facts about him in his word and as we experience the truth about him in his word and through his people and the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then we spend the rest of our days here until we leave this tent and are instantly transported to the presence of the Lord. We spend all of this time learning how to know him and knowing him better, knowing him more fully. What we've seen in Psalm 119 as we near the end of it is that kind of an experience from the psalmist. We need to give ourselves wholly to the Lord and as we cry out to the Lord with our whole hearts. We've already said it, but it bears uh, repeating again. If you're in here this morning, you think, oh good, I'm glad he's moving on. I'm not a real emotional person. It's not about levels of emotion. It's about who you are, how God made you, and what you're holding back, or whether or not you're willing to cry out wholeheartedly to the Lord. That's what it's about. And I'm being pretty strong on it because, because, well, we see it pretty strongly here in the scriptures. You don't have to cry like so-and-so. You need to cry like yourself 
mouth wide open, ugly cry before the Lord. God, I need you. I need you. I'm tired. Tired of going on my own. I'm trying, tired of, of trying to do this Christianity thing on my own when you made me for relationship, biblical community with other people. It's not just a section of our heart. It's not just a corner. It's not just the friend room or the music and reading room or the job room or the computer room. Or the computer room at, at night. The computer room in a room by itself in the house with the door closed. With a conscience that weighs heavy, so heavy you can barely stand up straight and walk. Or the, 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 the room of a friendship that you've entertained where you haven't, you haven't actually done anything wrong, but you put yourself near someone. What are we holding back from the Lord? Well, we're not giving it all over to the Lord. That's what you need right there is God help me. God save me. Paired with, I'll keep your statutes. Our, our, our resolve to give ourselves over wholly to the Lord is also a resolve to keep his word. When, 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 we're, when we're concerned about obedience and, and keeping his word, genuinely, deeply, intentionally, we're not doing what Jesus warned the Pharisees against. We're not, we're not worried about praying refined prayers or how many words we can say or how many things we can pile up. Matthew 6, 7, and 8, Jesus said, When you pray, uh, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. When we pray like that, we pray with a resolve to obey, just like the psalmist. Walking with God, walking in faith, because he believes God's promises for deliverance from sin. God's pro God doesn't typically deliver people from sin without a commitment or a resolve on our own part to do it. And you may have battled with the sin for many, many, many years, maybe even decades. And God wants you to learn how to put one foot of faith in front of the other as you learn to work through temptation. Because if you're just delivered from temptation, it's rare that you'll keep following Christ. Because the consequences haven't come to you. The difficulty of having, having to learn one obedient step of faith after another is something that's necessary for a believer's maturity in the Lord. We'll see more of this in verses 153 to 60. We need to know the Lord so deeply that we can pray biblically. Now, th this, is where, this is where your time with the Lord in prayer, I don't care if you call it a quiet time, if you call it a study time, if you call it whatever you want to call it, just reading your Bible, whatever the fact might be, whatever the case might be for you. This is where we want to pour over the Scriptures. And if you open the Bible and you think, man, this is just boring to me. You really need to ask about your relationship with the Lord. I don't mean do you look at the pages and you start things moving together and letters start to move and you're seeing this uh, mystical experience. A lot of times Bible reading is a real discipline because we have an enemy who doesn't want us to read the Bible. 
And sometimes this pastor, your pastor, sits down with his Bible and opens up the word and says, with my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call out to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before God. I know what that's going to say. I hear my voice according to you. You see what I'm getting at? I read and I go, Lord, I don't, it just doesn't seem like I'm feeling it. You're like, and you're our pastor? Every one of us struggles with it sometimes. But most of the time, we open the word and we say, God, show me who you are. Help me see you. I know I've got things that I do today, but got to do today, but Anything I try to do today is useless unless I'm before your face before I do it. Or as I do it, or as I go through this life. As we know the Lord deeply through his word, our prayer becomes effective, becomes powerful as it flows from serious Bible study, from serious Bible reading. Don't take the word serious to mean some other thing other than Intentional, planned, purposeful reading of the scriptures. You can only do serendipitous Bible reading, meaning like, uh, you know, you get up in the morning, you walk around, you go, yeah, let's just see what I'm going to read today. I mean, can the Lord teach you through that? Yeah. Testimonies of Gideon Bibles in hotel rooms where people have just opened up the word and God led someone's eyes right to the verse that they needed and they were saved. But it's not good enough to be your spiritual discipline for your Bible reading plan. You see what I'm getting at? We need more intentionality in it. And we need, we need to put some spiritual sweat into it. Effective prayer is, in a sense, repeating God's very words back to him, his teaching, his decrees, his promises. This isn't boring prayer. This is prayer where our whole heart is engaged in, in talking with the Lord. This is how we grow as mature followers of Christ, by, by praying God's words back to him, by praying God's heart after him and saying, God, I'm learning to want what you want. I don't want it all the right way right now, but I I want to want it the right way. I want to want you enough. I want you to change my heart to to be less looking at my own silly desires and, and more to your great and righteous rules, because I know that your rules are good, best, right, righteous in every way. And I want you I want your boundaries because I know they're healthy for me. And I want to be your man. I want to be your woman, a, a man or a woman after your own heart. That's when your prayers become more biblical. I'm not sure what to pray for. Open your Bible, find a passage, pray it. If you need a, a jump start, find the prayers of Paul. Text me if you need help. Please don't let your pride of not knowing where a chapter is that has Paul's prayers in it hinder you from humble, faith-filled obedience that says, Pastor, can you help me find something that will help me learn to pray and study the word? You would allow your pride to lead you into a life of either not having a walk with Jesus, not being saved, or being saved, but as only from the fire of hell. 
and not experiencing the joyful life that God wants for you. Don't let your pride of not knowing where to turn help you there. Ask a friend here and we can direct you to Paul's prayers. It's not easy to come up and stand before the church and say, you know, I have a previous pattern of temptation in my life. And I had that same kind of temptation this week. And God held me on the path of righteousness for his name's sake. You know what that is? It's a pride-crushing obedience. And so when a sister comes to me and says, tears streaming down her face, Pastor, I think I have to share this with the church. There's a grid of questions I ask when somebody tells me they want to share something in front of the church. And you can approach that in a healthy way or in an unhealthy way. I say, you know what? It seems like the Lord's doing something here. She humbled herself. Shared her heart with the church family. Psalmist is saying that when he talks to God about, talks about God's hearing him, He's, he's praying in, in, in accordance with God's steadfast love. Why? Because he knows the Lord. He knows the Lord through his Old Testament Bible. He's praying according to God's justice, verse 149. Verse 150, he's distressed about the wicked men that are, that are far from God's law. In his commentary on, on Ephesians, Harry Ironside, a, a pastor, shares about a meeting with an older and very godly man in his early in his ministry this guy was just a green pastor right and this man is dying of tuberculosis and so ironside goes to visit him and his name was andrew frazier so mr frazier can barely speak above a whisper because his lungs were almost consumed by this disease but frazier said young man i'll just say sometimes pastors go and visit people and try to think of like like, what's the, what's the right thing I need to say in this situation? Like, what's the right word that I need to say to this person? He says, young man, you're trying to preach Christ, aren't you? Yes, I am, Ironside says. He said, well, sit down a little, and let's talk together about the Word of God. And I just imagine he gulped right there. Frazier opened his Bible and until his strength was gone, he unfolded one passage after another, after another, teaching this young pastor truths that Ironside hadn't yet appreciated. He hadn't yet learned them personally. Ironside, in a non-derogatory uh, way, was getting schooled. He was getting schooled in the Word of God. And before long, this pastor had tears streaming down his face. He said, where did you get these things? He said, where can I find this book that has these things in them? Did you get them in a seminary? And I just never knew. Did you get them in, in college? And Fraser, Mr. Tuberculosis, said, my dear young man, I learned these things on my knees on the mud floor of a little sod cottage in, the nor in Northern Ireland. There, with my Bible open before me, I used to kneel for hours at a time and ask the Spirit of God to reveal Christ 
to my soul and to open the word to my heart. He taught me more on my knees on that mud floor than I could have ever learned in all the seminaries or colleges in the world. That's not a knock on education or training. But it is a bold statement that education, training, formal Bible study, active, regular attendance in your Bible study or community group without ever opening the word or without frequently opening the word on your own home turf will not be enough for you. You want to know God? You want to have peace in this world where every one of us needs peace? We open our Bibles and we get before the Lord. The psalmist fears his enemies here. They're, they're drawing near to him. But look at what he says here in, in, in verses uh, uh, 149. I just wanna, I'm going to listen, let, read these few verses to you. He says, hear my voice according to your steadfast love. So he's, he's praying according to the God he knows. God, I know you're a God of steadfast love. I know you're a God of compassion. I know you're the one that pursues me. And I am going after you. And I'm asking you, Lord, to hear me according to the way that I know you hear your people, O Lord. According to your justice, give me life. They, my enemies, they draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. Why? They are far from you, but you are near, O Lord. And all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. They're near to me, far from you, but you are nearer. Any struggle you face in your life, any fear that you have in your life, when you focus on that fear, that fear looms largely to you. I don't mean that it's nothing, no big deal, and you're just making it a big deal because you're a drama king or queen. I'm not saying that. Cancer is real. MS is real. Difficult financial situations are real. Divorce is real. Hard marriages are real. Abuse is real. Abortion is real. Isolation is real. But when we focus on any one of those things, failing to look at the face of our Savior through his word. Any struggle will be will seem to us larger than the Lord. What we need is a picture of our Savior to eclipse the struggle we're facing. Do you know why, friend? He's nearer. He's nearer. Look to him. But we look to him through his word. We experience And again, I won't take the word experience too far, but experience him through his word and through the body of believers. And so knowing the Lord through his word, it enables us to focus on him rather than the enemy who or or our struggle who seems to loom largely. But only when we're gazing at our Lord, at our Savior. Does he eclipse the problem? Does he seem 
bigger than the problem. And it does not matter the struggle that you face. It does not matter the challenge that is before you or the, or the, or the pain that is behind you that you can't seem to get rid of or can't seem to let go of. The Lord is bigger. He is the one who made heaven and earth. Psalm 121, where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And child, you better believe that he made it. He made you, wove you together in your mother's room. He knows everything that you need to walk with joy, peace, purpose, using everything you've experienced as part of your story. Well, I don't know if I want my story to really be, well, it doesn't matter because it's really not up to you. It's not your story. It's your story that's swept into God's larger story. And others need your story. Others need your pain, your temptation, your, your struggle. So they know, oh, you mean in a room of however many people are in this room right now, I'm not the only one who struggles. Do you know how often I hear people say, I really thought I was the only one who wrestled with it. My jaw, I have to like do like this sometimes. You know, I sit with my legs crossed and do like this. It's not because their struggle is so awful or, or anything like that. It's because I just think, oh, if you only knew. If you only knew. How many here? struggle. Part of it, reaching and teaching and living out what it means to be wholehearted followers of Christ is recognizing we're not our own. We're not our own. We have a maker. And we're doubly owned because we have a savior who purchased our life at Calvary. In the waiting, we need to practice, we need to practice active waiting. If you look at that second set of, of verses, he says, look on my affliction and deliver me. I don't forget your law. Plead my cause, redeem me. It's another way of saying help with more specifics. Plead my cause, <clears throat> redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. You know he's, how he's approaching the Lord there? You're my advocate. You're my advocate. Salvation's far from the wicked. They don't seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors, my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. Do you hear that resolve again? Many enemies, many struggles, but I'm sticking with you. I'm walking with you. There's a challenge in here because you, you might be deeply encouraged at reading a psalm like this this morning. You might be deeply encouraged by hearing a, a sister in Christ share her testimony. Maybe you've been in a community group this week and somebody else has shared a similar kind of testimony. Wonderful. Praise God. But especially where it comes to hearing people's life stories, sharing our own, and to, to close out, as he says in 159, consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth. Every one of them, every one of your righteous rules endures forever. This prayer is a little different for the New Testament Christian. So we say, yeah, Lord, Lord, consider how I love your truth. Consider how I'm striving to walk in your ways. Striving, Lord, because I know I fail. 
But consider that I'm yours in Christ. And save me. Deliver me. Answer me. Give me hope. Encourage my faint-hearted spirit. My wayward soul, bring me back. James warns us, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For anyone is a, who, for if anyone's a hearer of the word, not a doer of the word, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and then he goes away and at once he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no longer a, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is what, what Jesus explained to a group of people who came and, and, and then when talking about the things of God, things of salvation, they referenced Abram. Well, we're children of Abram. That'd be like saying, I'm a nice neighbor. I mean, I really try to help out those who live around me. I really am kind to my family. My parents loved you so much. I'm just not as, you know, kind of like out there religious as they are. I'm not a crazy Christian, just like a normal Christian, you know. Like I fly under the radar. Like some people at work, they don't even really know I'm a Christian. Like I'm waiting for that right moment. We were, we were in Egypt too. My ancestors were in Egypt. Jesus, Jesus avoids a whole conversation about being enslaved to other nations and peoples and areas and all that. And then he goes right to the heart and he talks about, well, yeah, but you're enslaved to sin. You're, you're enslaved to sin. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. If the Son has set you free, you cry out, God, help me. God, deliver me. God, give me wisdom. God, I need you. Open mouth, ugly cry, not worried about how you look to other people. Just pouring out your heart before the Lord. God, I need you. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. That's what active waiting is. I got a struggle, Lord. I know it's probably not going to be solved today, but I'm going after you. I got a challenge, Lord, but I'm not waiting to see if you solve it the way that I want you to, to decide whether or not I like you, whether or not I'm going to give my life to you. You're God. I'm not. I'm running after you. Our active waiting rests on the finished work of Jesus. I'm going to close with this very quickly. Uh, in Hebrews 12:4, the writer of Hebrews is talking about uh, discipline. And I'm going, to, I'm going to close with two passages, kind of in reverse order, different from even how I have it on my notes here. But, but he's talking about discipline and why discipline is good. And he's, he's talking about our need for discipline by a, a loving father. And he says in verse 4 of chapter 12 in Hebrews, he says, In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Chris, I need that verse to jolt me out of my self-pity. Because I let me tell you, I can, I mean, I can throw a pretty good self-pity party. I can. I had all kinds of things I think should be better or people should be nicer to me. You might be one of them, but uh, we're not here for that. But uh, 
All kinds of reasons why I think my life should be better. Things I should have more of. Things I should have less of. People who should, I shouldn't have to spend as much time around. Right? You're, not, you're not one of those people. Uh, but the writer of Hebrews says, you haven't re- resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So just relax. He says in verse 14 and 16 of chapter 4, Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. That's who the psalmist is talking to. God, you're perfect. All your ways are perfect. I'm coming to you because I need you. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace with an ugly cry. That oh, I added that part. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, undeserved kindness, that we may receive mercy and find undeserved kindness or favor to help in our time of need. I guess the question that I want to ask you in closing is, are you in need? Or you think you got it all? You think you've got it figured out? You think you can handle it on your own? Proverbs 18 one says, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. So you could say, no, 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 no. I don't think I have it all figured out. But I think I'm going to figure out how to get through this before having to tell somebody else. The wisdom of Proverbs says, no, 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 don't do it. Don't, do it. don't tell someone. Talk to someone. First, the Lord. And then go to a friend. A Christian friend. A godly friend who knows the scriptures who's going to be able to help you.